is a brand new year, 2016. It's going to be better. Cafe worship is going to be great in cafe. Uh, love you guys so much. How many of you make a New Year's resolution? Let me see your hand. New Year's resolutions? Two. <laughs> yeah. E either y'all are already where you want to be in life. I, I don't know. About 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions, so uh, we're not normal uh, in this room. About 45% do. About 38% never do. 38% of folks never, ever make New Year's resolutions. And of those who make New Year's resolutions, about 8% will keep them. So it becomes a very small number of people who actually, at the beginning of the year, make a goal to improve and then actually follow through on the goal. So may maybe that's why a number of us have, have actually given up. Of those who make New Year's resolutions, I think this is interesting. The younger you are, the more likely you are to keep your resolution actually to improve. So the younger you are, the better your chances of, uh, of, of, of learning a new trick. I, I guess you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, why do you think it is that change is so difficult? Because it is. The reason a number of us no longer make New Year's resolutions is we just simply have just given up. We know that, that we're not going to do it, so why put ourselves through the, through the charade of acting like we're actually going to get a job or lose weight or work out or uh, get out of debt or, or, or whatever it, it, it is. It, it comes down to a very, very simple principle in life. It's biblical, actually. Paul talks about it. These simple words, you, you want to, but you can't. You want to, but you can't. Paul says that. He says that the very thing I want to do is the thing I find myself never able to do. The things I say I'm never going to do, these are the things I do all the time without any kind of effort. Isn't it strange that change actually takes a great deal of effort? It takes no power whatsoever to stay like you are. You can coast through life and never change. But if you actually want to improve, if you want to change, that takes great power. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, that's the power that I lack. I don't have that power. So the reason that you want to, but you can't, it's, it's part of being human, it's part of being sinners. We just don't have the power that it takes to change. That power comes from Christ himself. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this, by his divine, say the word, power, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need, everything we need for life and godliness. We have received all this by coming to know him. It's an amazing verse. By his divine power, we have everything we need, everything we need for life and godliness. God has provided that to us in Christ. So whatever it is that we lack, Christ has already provided for us. The problem is we still don't seem to have it. If Christ provides everything we need to live the life that he wants us to live, to change us to be the people he wants us to be, then where is that power? What keeps me from experiencing it? Why don't I have that power? Why is it still so hard? Well, let's talk about that. The, the next three messages are in a series called Resolution. I want us to talk about what it means to make resolutions, what it means to try to change, and hopefully by the power of Jesus we will learn exactly what it means to, uh, to experience real, genuine life change. The resolutions that Americans tend to make seem to fall in three categories. The first one that they say usually has to do with living longer, health, 
actually in the United States, it's really less about living longer. It's more about looking better. Let's be honest. Most of us want to lose weight, not because we think we're going to die. We die fat and happy. You understand? It's not often about living longer. It's just about looking better. Bikini season is right around the corner, and we want to look better in, in a Speedo. That's how we think. You know, if I could just die, you know, that, that would be different. I'd eat and be happy, but, but i got to live fat, and so I'd rather look better. So honestly, for us, a lot of those goals that have to do with living longer actually are more associated with, with looking better, and that says something about how our minds operate. Looking better, living longer, having more. It comes to do with finances. A lot of us just want to get out of net. We, we want to be a little smarter with our money, primarily so we can have more. And then the other category of, of resolutions tends to surround relationships. We want to be able to love truly. We like to be able to spend more time with family, that, that sort of thing. So let's take those categories one at a time. Let's talk about that whole category of, of living longer. And let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. In the course of the next three weeks, we're going to really dig into this entire chapter. Today, just the, the, the first eight verses. Proverbs chapter 3. If you're looking for New Year's resolutions, Proverbs chapter 3 has a bunch of them. Just pay attention to the admonitions here. Proverbs chapter 3. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years. There it is. If your goal is to live longer, here it is. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. As he said it there twice then, you'll have long life, you'll have a satisfying life, a peaceful life. You'll have healing for your body, strength for your bones. So, so there you go. I was in Arby's restaurant one day in a big table full of of. of uh, Worker guys, muddy shoes, Carhartt overalls, all of that, man. They were, they were hardworking guys. They were sitting there eating and talking really loud. And one guy in particular was especially loud. And he was talking about the Bible, which I thought was kind of cool. I mean, it's just hardworking guys. And he wasn't necessarily in a group of guys who believed, uh, agreed with him. But, but nonetheless, he continued to just talk about the Bible. It was cool. He was talking about creation. He was really loud. And he's telling the guys about how God created everything, and some of them were disagreeing, some of them said they believed in science and, and all of that. And he ended up saying really, really loud, if you're going to believe the Bible, you got to take it all. You can't just choose the parts you want to believe in and take out the parts you don't like. That's what he said. And I thought, man, preach that. That's good. That's preach. You can't just take the parts you like and leave out the parts you don't like. And pretty good. The thing is, the conversation changed. And when it changed, he was still loud. He was still really loud, but when the conversation changed and they were no longer talking about the Bible, then they started talking about women. And when they started talking about women, then Mr. Creation, 
Mr. You can't take what you like in the Bible and, and leave out the parts you don't like. All of a sudden, he started talking about his life with women and what he enjoys doing with women, like different women that don't necessarily know each other. And he thought that was funny. And he started talking about all of the really crude and, and crazy things he does and the way that he lives a life that's very disrespectful and dishonoring of women. Apparently, you can take and choose more than you think out of the Bible, you, you know. It's amazing how just in, in, in that amount of time, this guy is all about the Bible and all of a sudden he's just more all about sex. And just as loud in both conversations, it, it, it was strange. Which brings us right to verse 1. Keep your Bible open. Look with me to chapter 3, verse 1 of Proverbs. My son, never forget. My son, never forget the things I have taught you. That This is God's word. And, and in many ways, you understand this is God's wisdom, God's speaking. And, and he says, my child, don't ever forget. Never forget. Now, when the scripture admonishes us never to forget God's commands, understand, it's not just never forgetting in the sense that you're just going to remember this stuff so that if you get in a good argument in Arby's, you've got some Bible verses to back it up. It's not just knowing it to know it. It's not just remembering so that you can just, you know, be a good rememberer. That's not what the scripture's saying. The idea of never forgetting, it has more to do with obedience. You know that, right? When he says, don't forget my commands, it's not just keep them locked away in your head. The the admonition is you you need to live a life of of obedience. You need to obey. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. The Hebrew word there is protect. Protect my commands in your heart. So so what what the scripture says right here in verse 1 is that we're supposed to live this this life of obedience. A life of obedience is the best life. This is what Proverbs will teach. That this life of obedience, not just a life of studying the Bible, not just a life of having a head full of Bible trivia, it's a life of obedience. This is what God wants for us. Not that you become smart in the Bible, but you become obedient in the Bible. Do you understand? A life of obedience is the best life. You protect these things in your heart. So in other words, the idea is that what God has for you, God's commandments, God's ways, these need to be stored down deep. They need to be impressed upon the very core of who you are. Now, we started out this morning talking about the core of who you are, and this is our problem. At the core of who I am, there is conflict. There is conflict between the man I want to be and the man I always turn out to be, the man I actually am. There is this conflict. At the core of my personality is just a tangled mess. Let's be honest. And the same thing is true of you because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And at the core of myself is this tangled mess of of wishes and desires and resolutions and then the reality of the man I turn out to be every day. But the scripture says, you you put at the very core of your personality God's word. You you inject into the core of who you are the totality of who God wants you to be. You store my commandments in in your heart. That this life of obedience is the very best life. That's why it says in verse 2, if you do this, if you do this, you'll live many years and, and your life will be satisfying. Your life will be peaceful is what the Hebrews say. Now, what is that right there? Is that like a fortune cookie promise? If you do this, 
you'll live many years. Is that true? Is it always, is it always true? Because honestly, y'all talking to a man that preaches a lot of funerals. And I preach funerals of really, really solid citizens, and I preach some pretty shady citizen funerals, understand? But it's not necessarily that all the good people die old. doesn't work that way. Sometimes they're very, very good Christian people, and they die way too soon, way too early. And then there are just some rat finks that just seem like they're never going to die. They, they just live on and on, meaner than snake, and they just won't die. They're just too mean to die, you understand? So... How do you interpret a verse like this? It says, if you do this, if you'll just keep the commandments of the Lord, you'll live a long life and it'll be a satisfying good life. Is that a promise? Well, it's a proverb. We're reading the book of Proverbs and you really need to understand what a proverb is. It's not a promise. It's not a promise. That doesn't mean it's not true. It's just true in a different way than a promise. Now, a promise is a promise, and the Bible is full of promises. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's a promise. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. But now, this is a proverb. It's an entire book of of proverbs. And proverbs are, are wisdom sayings. They are observations, inspired observations by the Holy Spirit, inspired observations of of what is wise, what what leads to the best kind of life. And so a proverb is an observation of what is generally true, all things being equal, all things being considered, it's generally true. So in other words, this isn't necessarily a promise that, that, that if you live by the Bible, you'll live longer than everybody else. Sadly, that's not the way the world works. However... All things being equal, all things considered, if you live by God's word, you will live a long and satisfying life. Do you understand? It's an observation. It's an observation of of, of basically how the world works based on the wisdom of the creator. So you understand, the the truth here is that the, the life of obedience is truly the best kind of life. It is the, the life that's probably going to lead you to longevity. It's the life that's probably going to lead you to better health. I mean, following the, the, the will and the ways of the maker just makes sense. He made you. He created the world. He knows how it works. And his wisdom is the wisdom you need for your life. So understand, if, if it is long life, if it's health, if it's all of these things that, that you desire and require, then the admonition is you need to line up your life with the ways of God. Make sure your ways are his ways, and it's going to go better for you. That's what the Proverbs say. You understand that? My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you'll live many years and your life will be satisfying. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Verse 6, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Verse 6, I memorized it from the King James when I was a kid, and in the King James it says, in all your ways, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Yeah, in, in all your ways. The Hebrew there literally says, Seek, seek his will in all of your paths. It says, in all your paths, know him. In all of your paths, plural, know him, and he will make your path singular straight. Interesting. In all of your paths, in all of your ways, 
and all of your paths know him, and he will make your path straight. Kind of interesting when you think about that. How many paths do you have? In all of your paths, the scripture says, know him, which is to say in everything you do, in all of your ways, you just keep connecting the dots back to him. In everything that you do, you make sure that you can draw a straight line back to the Lord. In all of your paths, in all of your ways, know him. He'll make your path straight. How many paths do you have? Well, if, if you're like the rest of us, you probably have many paths. Honestly, just stop and think about it. It's on the one hand, you're sitting in church, and so th- this is the path that, that, that brings you to church. This is the person you are at, at church, the, the path at church, understand. Tomorrow, you may be on a different kind of path, the, the path at work, the path that takes you to work. And, and necessarily, sometimes when we change environments, when we change responsibilities, we sort of take on a, a different mindset, a different kind of attitude. I'm different at work than I am when I'm at leisure, when I'm playing. So there's a little bit of that that's normal. So there's the path that that brings you to church. There's a path that you walk at work or or school when you go back to school, many of you tomorrow. Some of us, there's a path that we are walking when we're with our family. We're sort of a different person with our family, but, but you get us out in public. There's like a private self with the family and then a public self. And sometimes those people are really, really different. There's a person that you are on a date, if you're single, there's a person you are on a date and a person that that you are perhaps when you're with your grandma. There's there's a person you are when you're with your grandma on Facebook and a person you are when you are with your friends on Snapchat. Understand that there are these multiple paths that, that I walk. As I say, some of that is just normal because we really do have to live in in different environments, have to function in different roles and responsibilities. And so in some way, I I use a different side of my brain when I'm preaching than, say, when I'm watching television. But but let's stop for a moment and get really, really serious. Because some of us are strikingly different people when we get outside of church strikingly different. In other words, ma'am, let me just suggest to you that the lady you are at church wouldn't even like the lady that you are at home with your kids. You know what I mean? I mean, you're so different that that, that some of us would, would probably not even know you if we met you out. And you might not even know yourself. It's called compartmentalization. Psychologists have a word for it, compartmentalization. Mentalization, and and it's a devastating thing in your spiritual life. To compartmentalize means to sort of subdivide the space up, like picture your your house, your floor plan, and and it's one big space, your house has one big footprint, but then it's subdivided into bedrooms and bathrooms and kitchen and all of that, And, and you do the same thing in your life, and some of us do it to a very, very drastic degree. We have compartmentalize our life. So here is my work self, and here is my, the person I am with my wife, and here is the person I am at, 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 in other situations on the golf course with my buddies. Joy Guthrie and Don Clark, new mother and daughter in our church, uh, we love them. They're just a, a lot of fun. At one point, they had these two dogs, Gracie and Missy. Joy and Don, Gracie and Missy. Mother, daughter, dog, dog. You got 
um, Gracie and Missy are their dogs. They all lived in their house there uh, in, in perfect harmony until one day when Gracie and Missy got into a fight. The dogs got, in, got into a fight. Uh, border Collie and a, and a Terrier. Gracie was Dawn, Dawn's dog, Missy was Joy's dog. But they got in this horrible fight. I mean, teeth flashing, fur flying. I mean, they, they were going to fight to the death. It, it was that kind of fight. And after that point, Gracie and Missy could never, ever be in the same room of the house again. I mean, never. They would have killed one another. And so Joy and Dawn literally had to divide the house. They, they had to put up new folding partitions and doors where there hadn't been doors because they had to close it off where, where, where Missy could only be in this part of the house and Gracie could only be in this part of the house and only one of them could go out on the deck. I mean, because if these dogs ever crossed paths, there was going to be blood and death. Now you understand? So they compartmentalized their house. You understand that? They compartmentalized their house. So Missy had her compartment, her part of the house, and Gracie had her part of the house. It, it was necessary to manage the conflict. Now, when you and I compartmentalize our lives, we're doing the very same thing. We're trying to manage conflict. But the conflict is inside of me. Understand? The, the contradiction, the conflict is inside of me. And it's very difficult to live with that contradiction, that conflict inside of me. And so compartmentalizing my life makes me able to live with that conflict. Understand what I'm saying? When I say that the person you are at church wouldn't even like the person that you are at school, this is what I'm talking about. It's like these two people that live in you, and you're almost not even aware of it because you're so well compartmentalized. You don't even think about it anymore. But if an outside observer were to watch you, they would think that you're absolutely crazy. How in the world you can sit in church and praise God and pray and smile? Now, those who know you well, they see the contradiction and they wonder about it. Dad, your kids probably wonder about you a lot of the time because they understand that the man you are at church is not the man you are when they get home with you. And they wonder about that. They wonder how those two men can live inside the same skin, the same body. And I'm telling you, the, the way you manage that, sir, is by compartmentalizing. Those two guys never meet inside of you. They just don't meet. You have managed to keep the man you are on the golf course completely separate from the man you are with your wife. And the man you are with your wife is nothing at all like the man you are when you get to work with the other women. You, you understand? It's compartmentalization, and, and it's devastating for your spiritual life. In the old days, you could just call it your plain old hypocrite, and that's what we are. We're, we're hypocritical when we live this way. But I'm trying to make you understand why you do this. You're, you're managing the conflict. You're managing this contradiction because you don't know what else to do. If somehow all the people that you are were to come together, there would, you know, the, the fur would fly, the teeth would flash. So when we talk about the conflict inside ourselves, when we talk about you know, making a resolution and it's hard because I want to but I can't, it's, it's, it's harder than even just that. It is simply that I am managing so much conflict inside of me, so many contradictions. I really do want to be a man for God. I, I really, really do. And, and, the, and the truth is, you're just supposed to be the same person everywhere you go, everywhere with everybody, all the time. 
You're supposed to be the same person. It's not supposed to be that, that, that you sort of have to put on different masks and, and become a different man, a different woman. That, that is not the normal life. But it's become normal for so many of us. It's normal for so many people who go to church. No wonder that the world doesn't really have a lot of confidence when we begin to share the gospel. No wonder that a lot of us honestly aren't even very evangelistic in our lives because we know, deep down inside, we know that if we started talking about Jesus, nobody's going to listen to us because they don't see Jesus in the way we live our lives. It's compartmentalization. And we've lived our lives so divided off from ourselves, so divided. And I bring you back to what the Word of God says. In all your ways, on all of your paths, know Him. In all of your ways, you acknowledge God. You have His commandments. You have His way protected down deep in, in your heart. And so in all of your ways, wherever you go, wherever you're with, you're not supposed to keep changing yourself. You're not supposed to become a different person when you walk in the church house. You're not supposed to have a totally different vocabulary when you're in church as opposed to when you're on the basketball court. It's not supposed to be that way. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He'll make your path straight. Notice how we go from multiple paths to one path. And all your paths, know him, and he'll show you the straight path to take. In other words, you, you don't have to live this way. It's not at all the path that you're supposed to live. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about how to resolve this conflict. You know the word resolution. It's the same word with resolve. So in order to make a resolution, in, in order to resolve to change, there's some things that have to be resolved in me. And this is what I'm suggesting to you. You're not going to make a lot of progress in your life, in your personal life. All the changes you want to make, you'd really, really like to start working out. You'd really like to get out of debt. You'd really like to spend more time with your kids. And just saying, I, I don't know that you're ever going to make that kind of resolution and, uh, until the, the, the real resolution happens inside your heart. That man that you really, really want to be, I mean, you're one man at church, but then you're another man at home. I mean, you may be the father that hasn't had a conversation with your teenage daughter in four years. You want to be a different man? I'm just saying, this is a heart problem first. It's a heart problem first. So let's make some resolutions. First off, let's just say this. If there's a path that you take where you can't take Jesus with you, Stop taking that path. It's all right there. If there's a path you take where you can't take Jesus with you, you stop taking that path. Now, some of you may not know what I'm talking about, but others of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If there's a path you take in your life, well, let's say that, that, that in the job that you work, it's a job where you just cannot acknowledge God. It's a job where you can't know Jesus and, and, and work there. Then, then what I'm suggesting is you, you get another job. Because your life before God matters most, and, and God will take care of you. If, if, if your life at work is a life where you cannot take Christ with you, then you may need to find another job. If there's a path you take where you can't take Jesus with you, you, you stop taking that path. It may be the path that you're walking at work. It may be the friends that you're keeping. It, it really may be that outside of the walls of this church, 
The, the, the friends that you keep are people who are going to continue dragging you down. A, a man, a woman always becomes like the company that, that she keeps. There's, there's no escaping that. The friends around you have a tremendous influence upon your life. And some of you are, are, are letting people influence you and they are not influencing you for good. In other words, you can't go into that circle of friends and take Jesus with you. So what I'm suggesting is you, you end some relationships. You need to find some new friends. Because those friends are, are going to influence you and, and, and tear you apart. You'll never, ever get to the life that you're wanting to live if you're trying to hang around with, with these bums. You understand? You, you change the friends that you hang out with. I mean, that's part of it. This is just the Christian life, y'all. For some of you, it's even much more difficult. Some of you right now are in a dating relationship with a man or, or, or a woman and you know this is the wrong relationship. I mean, everybody in your life stands back and says, don't you see, don't you understand what she's like? Don't you understand what he's like? And everybody in the world can tell you this, but you don't listen to anybody. And you've been dating this person and there have been red flags, red flags, red flags. I mean, roadblocks. I mean, people standing out, waving their arms. And you're just driving right on down this road at 100 miles an hour. You're determined but you can't go down this path and take Jesus along. This is not going to be a spiritual partner for you. This is a person who always makes you compromise your faith, are they not? This is a person, in order to be with, you have to become somebody you don't even like. You understand? If you're going down a path in a relationship where you can't take Jesus, you need to stop taking that path. You may have to end a relationship. But this is just the real life, you all. This is just how it is. You can't date somebody. You have to become a different person just to tolerate being with them or just to have them tolerate you. I don't know what kind of changes you need to make, but let's get serious. It's not just about losing 10 pounds. I mean, the mess of my life, the mess of your life goes much, much more deeper than that. It's not just about watching too much television. I mean, we dance around the edges of our life as if we can make these little bitty tweaks, these little changes, and somehow become the man, the woman that, that, that we're called to be. It's never going to be just small tweaks, little bitty adjustments, y'all. We're much more messed up than that. It, it comes back down to here that the path that you walk every day, the multiple paths that you take, and the way you compartmentalize your life so that, honestly, Christ only has the smallest percentage of who you are. If there's a path you're taking and you can't take Jesus with you, you need to stop taking that path. And that needs to be the first thing you do today. Get your feet on the right path. In all your paths, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will put you on the straight path. That's what the scripture says. Just the bottom line, you will never resolve the conflict with yourself until you resolve the conflict with God. Your conflict is with God. In the book of Ephesians, it says that we were enemies with God. Enemies with God. You probably don't think about that. You don't think of yourself as an enemy with God, but you do understand what it means to be your own worst enemy. That's what we experience when we make a resolution and then we come down to that, that, that truth that I want to do better, I want to, but I can't. I experience that conflict in myself I know what it is to be my own worst enemy. I said I wanted to lose weight. I said I wanted to lose weight, but then wasn't it me cramming the little Debbie cakes in my mouth last night? You know, that, was, that was you, right? You know, same guy that wanted to lose weight. Same guy that's going to start working out, you know, next month. Next month. You know, 
I, I am my own worst enemy. I know the kind of husband that I want to be, but then I can't quite control the way my eyes wander at work. You understand? I am my own worst enemy. I experience this conflict with myself. But this is what I'm telling you. This conflict with yourself, th this way in which you can't for the life of you change. The, the way that you can't for the life of you do better or, or be better, at least not permanently. You can do it in little spurts, but it wears you out. You don't have the power. I'm telling you that the real conflict is with God. You, you can continue to fight yourself and wrangle with yourself. You can continue to, to battle temptation. You can continue to turn over a new leaf. You can just keep on. You can just keep on. If you could change yourself, you would have already done it. You can't. You won't. You don't have the power. That power comes from the Lord. If you want to experience real change, I mean permanent change, if you really want the life that you dream of, then step number one is you just need to surrender to God. There's this conflict with him where he wants you to acknowledge him everywhere you go with everybody you're with all the time, and you just won't do that. It's, it's a conflict with the God who says, take my words and, and protect them, put them down deep in your heart and live this life of obedience. It's always going to turn out better for you if you do, but you won't do that. You will not walk the straight path he lays out. You just continue to blaze your own trail. And you keep getting the same thing you've been getting. I just want to tell you the truest thing in the world, your conflict is not really with yourself, it is with God. And you're never going to change. It's never going to get any better for you till you surrender to the God who has the power to change you and make it better. Surrender to him. I know there are a lot of resolutions that you could make, but until you surrender to the God who made you, you're still just dancing around the edges. Can you even imagine what it would be like to walk one path old African proverb that says, the man who walks two paths will split his pants. <laughs> Can you even imagine what it would be like not to have to try to be two different people? I mean, teenagers, can you even imagine what it would be like where you could be the same person with your parents that you are with your friends? I mean, not to have to live a double life. Can you even imagine what it would be like not to have to turn on and be somebody else when you walk in church? Can you even imagine what it would be like to, to be the same worshiping, joyful person at work as you are here in these pews? Can you even imagine what it would be like to not have to live your life split off into all these different people? There is a mess of conflict inside of my heart and yours too. I can continue to try to win the battles with myself, but I never will. I don't care how many New Year's resolutions I make. It's not a battle I can win without power from Christ. And he has given me everything I need to live this life of godliness. I receive it when I come to know him. So in all of your ways, in all of your paths, know him. Know him, and he will show you the straight path. Pray with me.
Lord, there really are men in this room, in the cafe, in the sound of my voice, who are very, very different men in this house than they are anywhere else they go. Lord, there are men who when they come to church, they talk about godliness and holiness and they want to enforce the rules. But when they get to work, Lord, the rules don't apply anymore. If they can make money, they'll break any rule. Lord, that's not how it's supposed to be. Lord, there are men in this room who are nicer to every single person on the planet than they are to their own wife. Lord, I pray you'll change the hearts of men in this church this room. Lord, there are women who just smile and sing and pray and read books and do more Bible studies, Lord, but they go home and their hearts are so cold toward their husbands, toward their own kids. Lord, we want to do better. We want to get along. We want to somehow get the wheels back on this thing, but Lord, we've lost all confidence in ourselves. Lord, we know that no matter how hard we try, we're always going to fall back and and be the same or even worse. Lord Jesus, you're our only hope. You're the only one who has the power to change us from the inside out. You're the only one who has the power to uh, make me to die to the man I am, Lord, that I fight every day and let me live to Christ. Let me be a, a new person, the man that I'm made to be. That's what I want. So God, give us the strength to, to surrender. Give us the strength to stop fighting you. It's the strength, Lord, to take the words that you say and protect them in our hearts. Put those at the core of our personality. So at the very, very bottom of our heart is Christ. And so that the very bottom of our heart, it won't be this tangled mess of conflict that we create. Lord Jesus, let there be nothing in us that is not you. Let there be no path that we take that we don't take you along. Let there be nothing that we do that we can't draw a straight line back and connect to you, O oh God, our maker. God, lots of us have become so good at faking it, we don't even know we're faking it anymore. We believe our own lie. We've fallen for our own show. Lord Jesus, today I pray that you would would overwhelm us with the truth of of who we are and and what we need to be and what it's going to take to get us there. Help us, Lord Jesus, to surrender to whatever it's going to take. Some of us have difficult decisions to make, Lord. Some of us have a very difficult task of changing the road we're walking. But, Lord, I pray one way or the other that you will have your way in us, that you will change us, not just for a little while, but but permanently, Lord. Make us to be the women. Make us to be the men. Make us to be the young people want us to be, and then let us be that person everywhere we go, all the time with everybody. Help us, Lord. We're so tired of being divided. Will you just make us whole? In Jesus, Lord, just make us whole. We pray these things in His precious name.